Um, and please join me in welcoming the very lovely season of the Bitch podcast hosts. We have almost the full coven. Not, not as one. Four out of six, also known as two-thirds. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so we have Kellen, Laura, Zoe, and Walida um, from Season of the Bitch, and we're also really excited to welcome Allison from the Library Freedom Project. Um, so without further ado, take it away. Thank you so much. Um, we just wanted to start by acknowledging that we are on the traditional territory of the Lenape. So I felt like that was important before we start, especially being here in this church. Um, should I start over? Okay. So, um, Season of the Bitch is a leftist feminist podcast. If y'all haven't heard of us, um, we're on most of your streaming things. We started almost two years ago. And we started because we found there to be like a massive hole in leftist podcasting. Um, it was at a time when we were getting really annoyed with um, very men in general, but also like very male-dominated spaces within media and within online spaces. Um, and so we wanted to create something different, and so we decided to create a a podcast that was for everyone that wasn't a cis man, and so the guests we have are people other than cis men, um, and all of our hosts are people other than cis men. Um, yeah, so this is, um, as you guys may know from reading your programs, which I assume is what brought you here, this is a Being a Socialist Feminist Online panel. Um, and we have sort of two, I think, sides of that coin here. Um, we have a cybersecurity expert, um, and then we we have people who have stumbled into not being doxxed somehow. Just a bunch of goofballs. Um, <laughs> not secure at all. So I think um, what we wanted to talk about a little bit was the side of things where you're you're engaging in the world through the internet in its various forms, and like how that can be a positive and really like encouraging wonderful thing, um, because I think we have had a lot of like, really good um, experiences. So first of all, we met each other online. Um, I figure we can outline sort of the things and then maybe we can talk about them. Yeah, so um, we connected online in a way that is only very recently become possible um, for people to connect. And I definitely am a personal believer that um, there is a really important political space um, on the internet Think we're probably evidence of that. So it's the way that we met. It's obviously the way that we disseminate our message. Um, you can only get a podcast by downloading it or streaming it somewhere, anywhere besides Spotify, because they don't like the uh, the word bitch, I guess, which is fair. They're censoring us. So not like Spotify, but all of the other places. I just want to say really quickly that it's actually <laughs> that was the case at first, but since Rihanna has paved the way for us. Um, we can, we just need to link up some stuff. Oh, I was, okay, I stand corrected. So, the sort of online space as a place of um, spreading information in a constructive way, and I think the third thing that I, it seems like we might want to talk about is online spaces as a, a way to build community, which is, um, I think, similar to sort of the first thing about 
um, connecting with people, but I think there's, in addition to just meeting people, there's also the sort of intentional construction of a space and um, thinking about sort of how you curate that space, what do you want it to, to look like, how do you want it to function, what purposes do you want it to serve, who do you want to feel safe there. Um, and I think those are, it seems like, the sort of the three main things that we felt like we might be able to talk about in a panel like this before we coin flip, hand it over <laughs> to talk about not being destroyed by the internet. I feel like it's like a Rubik's Cube. Like they're met, they're, yeah. they're together, they're solve it together. And, and together Actually, you unlock the, yeah. the higher level of socialist feminism mm -hmm. online. Yeah, I love it. Right. Yeah, you want to you want an origin story, Laura? I feel like. Oh sure. Um, so we met in um, a Facebook group. Uh, well, so um, Walida and Zoe actually are our most recent hosts, um, which we also we had an open call for new hosts, which we did also on the internet, um, and we received over forty-five. Really um, interesting experience. So that's part of our origin story with at least all of us here. Um, and I think it was something we, that we really wanted to be intentional about, about making sure we weren't just reaching into our own communities, that we were opening this up to everyone because we didn't want to siloize ourselves in that way. Um, but we all met through Facebook, a Facebook group um, originally. Um, it was me, Walida, or oh me, Kellen, Ambria, Hope, and Lindsay. And Lindsay is no longer a part of our podcast, although she's still in our Slack, she's around. Um, and we kind of just started and we had no idea what we were doing. We literally looked things up on the internet like, what do you use to record a podcast when you don't know what you're doing? Um, which we can talk about if any of you have like questions about like th that side of things, like how do you do that? Um, we had no idea what we were doing and we also knew that people were really interested in what we were doing right away. So we had Patreon supporters before we had recorded our first episode, which was a little intense for us because we were like, what if it's terrible? What if, what if everyone is like, you all just screwed this up big time? Um, so that was a little nerve wracking. Um, and that, so that's yeah. where we kind of yeah. started from. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was entirely, it was, there was, I think we raised, it was like $1,000 on Kickstarter to like get our equipment again before we had put anything out there. And all of that happened through mainly DSA, but also sort of general left online networks. Um, so that, that was pretty powerful. And then I think maybe the next thing is, is like dissemination and like getting ideas out into the world online. I don't know if one of you guys want to talk about that. No. Getting ideas out into the world online. Um, <laughs> you don't have to. <laughs> I have a lot of ideas. No, um, I mean, I think something I was thinking about um, and talking about like kind of the security of it and like luckily we have had minimal issues because we have like the nicest fucking fans ever. Um, everybody's like about this today has just been like so nice. Um, but when like Alina and I joined and we had a call with Laura talking about like do we want our last names attached to our like accounts um, and like if we wanted to you know, have, I guess, like, alt accounts or anything for the podcast, um, which I thought about, but ultimately didn't want to do, um, but I am very findable, which is kind of scary, because I'm the only person with my first and last name that, uh, exists on the internet. <laughs> yes. So, um, it is a little bit scary knowing how easy I am to find, so don't tell anyone else that. Um, <laughs> we are live streaming. 
but no, I just feel like we have such a good fan base and like we really connect through people. There's a lot of people we've met here that we've already kind of connected with online or had um, on our podcast through finding them online, including Allison. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Our success story of like, there's definitely a way to have it be like a meaningful way to form a community and meet people that you would not meet otherwise. Um, do you wanna add on? Um, yeah, I'm also someone that whose first and last name is in my Twitter handle um, because I've been an activist for nearly 20 years. And when you're an activist for 20 years with a name like Lolita Cannon, you're the only one on the internet, it's just you. So I have had to prepare for it. Um, I also happen to be a software engineer, so I just learned how to lock down all my things online and um, Which, how to, as soon as Wally well, joined the podcast, we I changed all the passwords. Really. I was like, what are these passwords? You can first of all, you shouldn't even know them. Anyway. Um, so, um, <laughs> but I'm sure Allison will talk about all of that. You're two sets of but being a, being a woman and being an activist uh, and a leftist online, um, especially in the United States, it, it can be a scary thing because you're vulnerable in all kinds of ways. You're vulnerable by being a leftist, you're vulnerable by being a woman, you're vulnerable just being online. Um, I'm not on Facebook. Um, I strongly urge everybody to get off Facebook. I know it's hard to do, um, and I, you know, and I understand that there's people that need to be on Facebook, but if you can get off of it, I beg you to get off of Facebook. Um, you know, my Twitter is, like I said, my first and last name, but I do not read replies. I mute my thread immediately when I tweet, and <laughs> uh, because I don't want to know or care what people are saying to me, that's not why I'm on Twitter. So, um, yeah. Twitter is a one way street. Twitter is a one way street. If I want to know what you are saying, I'll ask you. Um, so, I, I, I really avoid a lot of that. You know, but, but being on a podcast, your opinions are out there, your thoughts are out there, and as human beings, we evolve over time. So what you said two years ago, you might not believe in anymore. It's just kind of something you have to accept and be okay with, and um, be okay with your name and face and everything being out there. Um, and it, I, I don't know if it's easier for, for men to do it, but I know for us, it, it can be a little bit intimidating and daunting, um, but we do it anyway. Yeah, and I'll just speak to, when we first started, we had to have a big conversation about did you honor our last name's president. Actually, um, one of our hosts, I won't even tell you which one, we don't even use her real first name. So there is some stuff that we did have in those conversations um, that I don't think men have. Um, but to that end, um, because I know um, Allison's gonna get into doxing, I wanted to talk a little bit about I think how we've been able to protect ourselves from a lot of online harassment um, and how it's been really limited. Um, and one of those reasons is because, <laughs> I truly believe this, I think that the men that listen to our podcast are so afraid of, us? of like messing it up. Like they're just like, you, well, you know what you're talking, like you are the socialist feminist queens like, I have people DMing me just like, yes, queen, all of the time. And I'm just like, first of all, like, don't, maybe don't say yes, queen, because, like, that's, like, appropriate in some way. <laughs> Second of all, like, look, uh, thank you, but also. You trusty reply, guys. We yeah, definitely share. Yeah. So I just think that the, the thing about the way that our podcast kind of grew was 
out of us essentially calling a bunch of men out predominantly in DSA for being like chapo stands and like really being obsessed with all of this really vapid male-centered media and we were really 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 tired of it and so I think when we kind of like laid that bare it was one of those things that people were like afraid to confront us about things don't get me wrong they still try and then we all dogpile on them which is honestly the greatest tactic that there ever has been um, but that's really what I kind of wanted to talk down to and all the rant about that sorry I just want to add to what Laura said about when I do have an unwanted reply guy, I send it to Laura via DM and she will immediately jump in and reply back for me. Um, I love to be everyone's reply guy. <laughs> Please be my reply guy. I'll be your reply guy. Laura's a really good reply guy. Here's the thing, I just don't give an F. And, and most people don't even know who I am because my Twitter handle is Socialist Willow, so like that, that is known. It's fine. Y'all know. Most of you know. Um, but the other thing I was going to say is, like, more importantly than talking about the men, is talking about all of the other people who support and uplift this podcast. Um, I think the amount of labor that goes into this podcast is kind of unreal, um, especially when we're all working full-time. And... I think we would have stopped a long time ago if we weren't hearing stories from trans folks and women and people of color who were just like freaking finally like thank you so much for doing this and not to say that we like even need or deserve that thanks in a lot of ways I just mean like what that shows to me is that this type of space that we've carved out online is super crucial and still super lacking and that people have been very very moved by having people that they identify with on our show on a regular basis, whether it's one of the hosts or the guests. Um, and that's just been like an incredible part of the community. And then they jump into the conversations of men trying to harass us online, which is really nice. <laughs> I, I also wanted to, um, we're gonna come up on time um, pretty quick here. I wanted to, Laura, um, I think, your rant was beautiful, and I don't want to take anything away from it, but I do want to just um, reiterate that I think actually another thing that has worked for us is that our online presence is super positive, actually. Um, we, I mean, try actually very hard not to say anything negative about other figures in the media, um, even Chapo, who was mentioned, um, there are people on the podcast, there are hosts who actually listen somewhat frequently. Um, and so, like, trying, we also, we have a variety of opinions on actually a lot of different things. We definitely don't all agree on things, and we keep sort of the spirit that works between us, I think, to navigate some of those issues. I think we bring it into the online world as well. I personally don't have any interest in like getting in any kind of beef with anyone. <laughs> like, you know, um, and I, I think that one of, I think the podcast is based on an ideal of inclusion. Um, inclusion in a way that is perhaps sort of ironically framed in somewhat exclusionary terms that, you know, and I think as leftists, we're still trying to work through how do we define ourselves as non-men um, in a group that isn't still centering men's identities. Um, 
but we, I think, have been largely successful in trying to, to foster a um, sort of, especially in Twitter, which is where we're most active, a space where like positive discussions can happen, where we're not like shitting on people all the time. Um, and if you like want to listen to people shit on people, like there are so many places to go for that, you know. Um, and we're, that's just not who we are. And I actually, I really like that. Um, there's, and, and I think that is a big part of probably why we have been safe. And, and you know, our reply guys are, you know, they're most, they're mostly harmless. You know, we love and respect our reply guys. So. They're mostly well-intentioned, though I feel if they listened better to the podcast, they might not do it. <laughs> true, true. But yeah, yeah, I think it, it, has, been, to say. it has been really important um, to try to, like, be uh, sort of a, a force for maybe, like, Pollyannish sometimes. I don't know. But, like, we, we have snark, but to, to, to be a kind of um, a place of sort of positive mes messaging in the leftist podcast ecosystem. We get made fun of for that sometimes on Reddit. Like, Redditors, what up? We know that you think we're six ladies that just don't interrupt each other. Yeah, and have annoying whiny voices. But that's fine. Like, and there are a thousand hosts. Anyway, how do you tell apart six different women? I actually think that's funny. That's a joke I get too, personally, that there are like 97 of us. Um, I like it because if I say something, I'm like, probably no one knows it was me. Yeah, I'm embarrassed about it. But, um, but yeah, so yeah, I think, I think all of that is well, important. That's it? Yeah. Let's, uh, Allison, tell us how to be more secure. Um, there is no way. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just want to say that I'm really envious of the way you describe your reply guys, because my reply guys are fucking terrible. They're all libertarians. Um, and, yeah. Um, so, hey, what's up? I'm Allison. Um, I work on privacy and fighting surveillance capitalism. And by that, I mean um, thinking about data and like the data extractive industry and all the different entities that are interested in learning things about who we are and what we do online. Thinking about it from a materialist analysis, um, thinking about the intersections of you know what it means to have our data exploited and how you can think about it in terms of like in a similar way as, we, as our labor is exploited and who is most at risk and what happens to them. Um, because data is basically like the thing that drives our economy now. Um, if it weren't for the big five tech companies, like the global economy would be in the toilet. Um, so I run a small organization called Library Freedom Project where I teach librarians about fighting surveillance capitalism because I see them as a really good way of bringing this information to communities. I, I am a once and former once and former, what the hell was that? Once and always librarian, former and always, I just learned how to talk. Um, I was a librarian, I am a librarian, and so I, um, I started doing this work. I also teach um, socialist organizers about online privacy and security. Um, some of it is about cybersecurity, but it's more sort of broadly about like creating cultural norms about how we use the internet and how we treat each other and how we... Um, protect one another, and so what I want to talk about is, you know, seemingly a different thing, but actually very related, because really what I want is for everybody, um, not everybody, um, just, just the people who are nonsense dudes, basically, but, you know, they can, they can have something too, I guess, um, they can continue their reply guy allyship based in fear, which I think is, you know, if your allyship is not based in fear, really, what is it? 
Um, I want everybody to be able to create community um, that is strong. Um, I've met most of my closest friends on Twitter too. Like it's super important to my organizing and all of us. And so, you know, my advice to people is not simply to log off and or delete your Facebook, even though I think you should do both of those things. Um, it's not realistic to expect that that's just all there is to do. So what I wanna talk about is um, how we can have better safety through harm reduction and through solidarity. So um, a, a few kind of like in, initial things that I think my co-catalysts have set up really well is that like the, the threats that we face online are very similar to the ones that we face offline. There is no distinction between these two worlds. People say IRL all the time, and I actually am anti-IRL um, in real life, for those of you who are not familiar. Um, I say, who doesn't know what IRL is? I say AFK, away from keyboard, because it's all real life, right? And I think that like one sort of cultural norm to create is the idea that like, the internet is our real lives. It's not just like some separate thing that we do when we go on Twitter. We are ourselves. And things that happen to us there carry into our, our meat space, our AFK space. Meat space, that's right. Cyberspace and meat space. M-E-A-T. Well, also M-E-E-T. Yeah. Whichever kind of meat. I know there's a lot of vegans. You know, I don't want to. I meant human meat, not the kind that you eat. We're doing great, folks. Um, <laughs> So the, the, the same power dynamics that, um, that we face um, in AFK space um, are reproduced online. Um, threats um, offline are facing them even greater online. And so of course I'm talking about um, black folks, trans folks, indigenous folks, uh, sex workers, um, undocumented people, people with queer identities. Um, poor folks, and I'll talk a little bit about like the specifics of those, but I'm going to kind of broaden it out, and then during the question period, if you want to know about like specific things to do with like specific um, experiences of the world or specific identities, we can definitely get to those. Um, in the like anti-surveillance community, we we talk about these things with a term called threat modeling, and threat modeling is even though like the anti-surveillance community is like lousy libertarians, and they don't think of this necessarily as an intersectional analysis, I think it lends itself really easily to an intersectional analysis, because basically threat modeling is the idea that every single person has a need for privacy, for protecting themselves online, based on who they are, and what they do, and you know the conditions of their identity and their experience. So threat modeling is basically like assessing what your risks are, and then kind of thinking about what you're going to do about it. So you have all been threat modeling, even if you didn't know that was what it was called, you were like, are we going to share our last names? Are we going to do this? And ultimately you decided that it wasn't necessarily in your threat model to make decisions that like would, you know, um, create pseudonyms for yourselves or whatever. Um, everybody has a threat model. Your threat model can change based on um, more information based on changes in your life, based on political changes in the world. Um, lots of people's threat models changed when Trump got elected. Um, you know, uh, I my own experience is that um, you know I've been doing this work for like the past five years full time, um, and I had what I you know I had a pretty strong threat model of like what I thought you know was was were my risks or not, and then 8chan tried to dox me. Um, they fucking didn't, they couldn't because they're losers, and if they're watching now, hi dorks, 
Nice job. You'll never find me. I'm behind seven proxies. Um, that's a little bye. Um, that's a little nerd joke for anybody knows. Um, but my, but it did change my threat model. It made me think because it was incredibly frightening while it was happening. And even though ultimately they weren't able to find anything that could lead them to, for example, where I lived, um, it made me rethink um, some of the information that I was putting out there and the ways that I was doing it. So some of the issues that are relevant to thinking about our threat models, um, of course, number one, like overall, you know, surveillance capitalism, that like we are all completely addicted to our devices and to all these platforms, and that's how they work. You know, UX, like user design, is all centered around this idea of like dark patterns. Anybody ever heard of dark patterns before? Couple people have. Dark patterns is basically the idea that they want to keep you on the app as much as possible. So here's a dark pattern: Netflix autoplay. Dark pattern. Endless scroll on Twitter and Facebook. Dark pattern. Um, because data is there is the raw material. Um, Shoshana Zuboff, who is the person who coined the term surveillance capitalism, talks about um, data as the raw. Often, you know, we hear things like, "Oh, you're the product. You're not." Actually, really, the product. You are the raw material that's getting sold and chopped and moved in a different direction and resold to advertisers, to um, you know, insurance agencies, to all different kinds of entities. Um, and this is what powers the surveillance assemblage, which is like all the different kind of entities that use this data. So within that, some of the adversaries are uh, law enforcement, like police surveillance capabilities are unlike anything that the world has ever seen now. Um, that includes ICE and other federal law enforcement. Then there's like just the regular like capitalists themselves, the Googles, Facebooks, um, Microsofts, etc., of the world and the way that they have created an environment that we are addicted to. We have basically no choice but to use. If you don't use them, like you can't really have a life in the way that we all want to have lives and community. Um, and then there's like a nebulous third category of just other entities that kind of are either shielded by those earlier entities. So for example, online fascists, online and offline, of course, but like they do a lot of their organizing online. They will never um, face any consequences um, from law enforcement and they use the environment that surveillance capitalists have created um, where so much of our information is out there they can use that against us for things like doxing which I'll get into in a minute. Um, so some of the particular kinds of work that I've seen people um, engage in that is um, higher risk for, um, for things like doxing or harassment I want to speak to some of those, but I want to, before I get to them, I want to say I'm not advising that people like somehow stop doing this work or suddenly get frightened. I just want us to have um, kind of an honest account of what the risks are and think about it so that we can protect ourselves and our communities. So number one, any kind of anti-fascist organizing at all. Um, the thing about online fascists, they're terrible at everything. There's one thing that they're kind of good at, and that's computers. Um, they are really good at using the internet to find information about us on the left. They know that we are their enemies. And for various reasons, if you catch their attention, they will, they will try to swarm around you and dox you. So for folks who aren't familiar with what doxing is, because I've said it a few times, let me define it. 
Doxing is the practice of taking somebody's personal information that they don't want you to have, that they may have shared, but not really thinking about how it could be misused, or maybe it was they didn't share it, but it's like public record. Getting that information together and creating a profile of someone in order to create chaos in their life. So doxing happens all the time to organizers on the left, primarily people of color, primarily women, um, undocumented people, anybody, especially with intersections of those identities, um, who are very vulnerable because doxing is so frightening and so traumatic and can result in real world material harm, um, the fascists know who to go for. So if you are engaged in any kind of anti-fascist work, um, you may have already been a target. Um, Folks who have been involved in uh, in the Me Too movement are um, are highly targeted. Anybody who is unionizing their workplaces, um, that's a different set of adversaries because your workplace, um, you know, is probably monitoring your activity. If you even if you're connecting to workplace Wi-Fi on your phone and then you're like looking up like how do I organize my workplace, you know, they can see the websites that you visit. Um, sex workers, especially now um, after SESTA FOSTA, because they really they cannot advertise their services safely online anymore. Um, being queer and trans, you know, there's really nothing new there. Um, those are identities that are always under threat, no matter what kind of work you're doing. Um, folks who have abusive former partners, um, there are so many different apps that like just you think that are very easy to download that um, abusive men will use and they'll um, you know basically like send you a link and try to get it onto your phone and then you've got this malware on your phone that tracks you and then of course being undocumented um, is another um, identity where like all of your online activity anything that could reveal information about your um, your documentation status um, is a risk for you so what can happen if any if any of these if you're working on any of these things have any of these identities, you have any of these adversaries, any number of things can happen. So doxing is the one that I've been kind of talking about the most, but I think it's the one that affects the, the greatest number of people on the left, no matter who you are and what you're doing. Um, I know many people, I hear from people all the time, people in DSA and in different socialist organizing um, groups and, um, you know, folks like just dealing with doxing all the time is so commonplace that like I feel like we don't really talk about it enough. Um, some things that can happen from doxing, like, you know, if they, if they really want to make you a target, they'll like, um, they'll communicate to you in various ways that they like really know where you live. They'll like send a bunch of pizzas to your house um, or they'll like send a SWAT team to your house. That's one of the worst things because they'll call in like a fake bomb threat or something. Um, various kinds of stalking and harassment can result through this. And then of course, like, you know, if law enforcement is one of your adversaries, then like very terrible things can happen to you, you know, prosecution or um, deportation. So, um, you know, I've, I've spent a whole lot of time talking about um, various risks and I'm so close to running out of time, but I want to talk a little bit about some, some general advice for everybody, the things that you can do to protect yourselves. I want to get back to the, the concept of solidarity that I talked about first, because the solidarity component of this is that um, we are all responsible, like our threat model includes our communities. And we need to take seriously that even though some of us, like I use my real name on Twitter, I've been doing anti-surveillance work for years, but I don't feel like that is a threat for me. That's not true for everyone. So in terms of creating cultural norms, 
we need to create spaces where we don't make the assumption that people are comfortable telling us exactly who they really are. We shouldn't be suspicious of that. Um, we should have a culture of consent around um, online activities with organizing, just the same way we do with other, um, you know, with uh, like meet space. Um, and so to that end, some specific advice that I want to give you. Number one, um, everybody should update their software right now. Keep your software up to date, people, okay? It is like the easiest thing, no one does it, and like malware of various kinds like can come from all different kinds of adversaries. It's just like such a simple way to go after someone. So I know you have to like delete some photos from your camera roll or whatever, just do it. Okay, number one, software updates. Two, um, your password is terrible, I'm so sorry, but all of your passwords are really bad. Um, what you should do is you should get a password manager there's a whole bunch of them. They're all pretty good. Um, they're fairly easy to use. So many of them are free. If you want advice for specific ones, I can tell you. Make a super strong password that you use to get into your password manager, and then you can store like random jumbles of letters, numbers, and symbols in the password manager, and then you're not using the same shitty password for everything, which is, I know what you're doing now. Um, turn off your location services, uh, especially for apps that don't need them. Um, and I'm talking about social media, like your, your Twitter and Facebook and stuff don't need to know everywhere that you go. It does not need to be broadcast to anybody who might be watching. Like when you think about all this doxing that happens, what they're doing is they're going to your public social media and they're looking to see where you go. And if you go to the same places regularly, that you're broadcasting that to potential adversaries. And it's like, you might not be thinking about how, like, oh, I just go here and whatever, but like once somebody targets you, it's scary as shit. I've had weirdos from Twitter show up when I've like tweeted a picture of, like of being at like a bar or something, like tweeted the picture across the street. Um, I've had Twitter followers like come and be like, oh, I saw that you were here. Like what, who would ever do that? Um, but just having, having an attitude where you think about like, what is this picture revealing about me? When 8chan tried to dox me, they looked at my photos and tried to glean from the picture where I was. So in terms of turning off location services, it's especially important to turn off location services for your camera. Because then if you, do, if you have location services turned on on your camera, it will embed metadata into the photo of where that photo was taken. It can be pretty precise, so it could be like your home. Um, I'm gonna just say a few other things since I'm like basically out of time. Um, okay, cool. Um, I mentioned workplace Wi-Fi. This goes for school Wi-Fi or any Wi-Fi network that you don't like 100% trust. It's not like yours in your home. Um, it's a good idea to either Treat it like it's being read by your boss all the time because if the network, if you're not in control of the network, like they can see the websites that you visit. If that's not possible for you, if you're like, no, I still like need to like look at OkCupid on my phone or whatever, um, you should use a VPN on your phone. And there's a whole, like VPNs are like, there's like some really crappy ones. Unfortunately, the, the, the good ones do have, like cost a little bit of money. One that I really like is called Private Internet Access. Um, and I have some free, like, you know, like six months free private internet access, like cards at my house. If you want one, I will mail it to you. Um, uh, um, for, as far as like using social media a little more safely, um, the thing I said about consent, make sure you have consent of people's, um, you take photos before you post their photo because you don't know what their threat model is. You don't know if like they're 
out to their family, you don't know, and, and I mean out in any sense as socialist or as queer or whatever. Um, so, you know, asking before posting is a good idea. Um, I like the idea of like, if there's like a big like organizing thing and you haven't gotten consent from everybody in the room about um, taking photos, take it from the back of the room. Um, for um, big events, um, for name tags, you can put like, you can get like little stickers from the dollar store and the red ones mean don't take my picture and the green ones mean do and the yellow ones mean ask first because like, you know, I want to know where it's going. Everybody should use an ad blocker, um, no matter what your threat model, um, because any way that we can um, uh, prevent the surveillance capitalists from monetizing our information is good and they hate ad blocking. I know it's bad for journalism too, but like that's a bigger problem to solve. Like journalism should not be so beholden to the advertising industry. It's not journalists' fault, of course. Um, but ad blocking, like, I, you know, the the journalism industry wasn't going to be saved by advertising anyway. Everybody use an ad blocker. Um, everyone should be using Signal for texting and calling. Signal is a free encrypted app. Um, it's for Android and iOS. The content of the messages is encrypted. You can make encrypted calls with it. And one of the things that it has that none of the other encrypted apps have is that it um, also hides your metadata. So in transit, if somebody's like observing your calls in real time, which is probably not happening to you, but like talk to me if you think that's in your threat model. Um, but like, let's say um, you get arrested for organizing a direct action and your call data gets subpoenaed. If you've been using Signal, they won't be able to see who you called. They'll only know that you have the app installed and they'll know the last time you used it, but they won't be able to see a record of all the people you've called, which we know in organizing can be evidence of conspiracy or whatever. Um, so, and then just the last thing that I want to say before we open it up to questions, just getting back to the solidarity piece, um, you know, uh, there are some really great resources for teaching ourselves and each other. Um, one of them is called uh, DIY Feminist Cybersecurity. It's by a group called Hack Blossom. I know the person who put it together, it's really great. It's a bunch of different, like the kind of advice that I've given you here, if you just search for it, you'll find it. DIY Feminist Cybersecurity Hack Blossom. Um, Tactical Technology Collective is a group of people that makes a whole bunch of different resources for digital privacy around organizing. And they have something called security in a box that's quite good. And then finally, um, the Electronic Frontier Foundation has something called Surveillance Self-Defense. It's ssd.eff.org. Um, teaching each other, like having an appoint, like an organizing meeting, taking five minutes at the end just to make sure everyone's on signal or whatever is a really good step. And just taking seriously people that like not everyone is going to have the same threat model as you and that their concerns are valid and that online harassment um, is actually very scary. And even if it doesn't amount to anything, it does have the effect of making people not want to organize anymore. And that is not what we want to have happen. So thank you for letting me go over my time. Um, I think that we can take some questions now. I don't have questions for the audience. I don't know if you all do. Is that mic on? It is, yeah. So maybe people could head to that mic. Yeah, I think especially for accessibility reasons, if folks feel comfortable asking their questions at the mic, that would be amazing. Cool. B, you want to start us off? All right. Oh, and if you could just mention your name and your pronoun when you ask your question, that'd be awesome. Oh, just as a reminder, we are live streaming. Um, so if you That's want to, it's, it's actually not my phone died. Oh. <laughs> There's a video, but we can 
The live stream is over. My phone is dead. Okay, never mind. There was some really great norm setting. I just want to, yeah, great job. <laughs> Putting our ideals into action. It's great. I love it. <laughs> There's another recording. Never mind. I'll okay, use my other name. The Everyone can you are on camera. Okay. I can send you it. Okay. Um, hi. Hi. I'm Barbara. I she her pronouns. Um, yeah. I just I I have a question because you mentioned Signal. Um, yeah, I've known for a while about this encryption thing, and um, I was wondering if you have opinions about the app called Telegram. Because like a few years back. So most of my people in Brazil and everywhere else other than the US use WhatsApp, which was like bought by Facebook a few years ago. Um, and then for a few years I've been trying to get people to use Telegram with me, but recently I heard that Signal may be safer than Telegram and if you have opinions on this. And we're definitely going to use Signal from now on, like as organizing strategies. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. That's a great question. Um, so in order of safest to least, it goes, in my opinion, Signal, WhatsApp, iMessage, Telegram, and then like regular like Android SMS. Um, and I'll explain why. And this is like not shaming at all because people have different strategies and like everyone is just trying to do the rest. Um, so the thing with Telegram is that I don't, I haven't followed in super recent times, like what's going on with them, but there was a few years ago, it was discovered that they were doing a few really bad things. They were storing the contents of people's messages in plain text on their servers. So the opposite of encryption is plain text. It means that like anyone can read it, it's just available. And so it was on Telegram servers, but then like if they want to hand it over to law enforcement, they very easily could. And there was something, there was like a whole thing with them like handing over text to like the Iranian government or something. I can't remember precisely what it was, but there was a whole thing with that. WhatsApp, even though it's owned by Facebook, um, the content of the messages is encrypted. The metadata is not. So Signal is a step above it in that way, but WhatsApp, as you said, is used by like millions of people around the world. For that reason alone, like I don't like pushing like, you know, family members and people to use Signal, like most of the time they're not gonna be into it. Like if they're using WhatsApp already, that's like usually perfectly fine because it's encrypted by default. And as long as you have an understanding of like the limitations with not encrypting the metadata, like it's doing good. iMessage to iMessage, like iPhone to iPhone is encrypted. Um, Apple has the metadata, but they can't decrypt the content. Um, and I put that below WhatsApp because WhatsApp has the benefit of giving you the opportunity to have an encrypted conversation between Android and iPhone. Android SMS is unencrypted by default. So that is something to know. When your phone, when you send a text and it's in blue, it means it's encrypted. When you send a text and it's in green, it means it's not. Facebook Messenger is um, 
also they so Facebook Messenger and WhatsApp and a few other apps now use the same encryption scheme as Signal, like Signal created it and now they use it. But I hate Facebook so bad. Um, even though WhatsApp is owned by Facebook, like I, I like I give WhatsApp a little bit more of a pass just because it's like so popular around the world. Um, yeah, Facebook Messenger, it's probably encrypted and it's probably fine, but like we should be moving away from Facebook as much as possible. The other thing is this, I didn't mention this, is that we're, so Signal is free and open source software for the most part. The other, um, like WhatsApp and, and uh, um, Telegram and, um, actually no, Telegram I think is open source. Um, WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, iMessage, these are all closed source, which basically means that you, if, you know, I, I realize that like folks in this room might not um, have the technical capacity to like go and read the source code and be like, oh, I see that they are in fact doing what they say they're doing. But there is a whole community around the world of, of people who are into free and open source software who do exactly that with software where the source code is shared. So they look at it and they say, they examine it to, to make sure that it's, that the claims that it says that it's making about its security or whatever are actually legit and they examine it for bugs and they like, you know, whatever. So it's impossible to do this with Facebook Messenger. It's impossible to do this with WhatsApp. So you're taking those companies at their word, like, okay, I guess you are just not saving this in plain text somewhere. I guess not. I guess you don't have a copy of the keys. Um, and there's really no way for us to know. So in general, I am a little bit more of an evangelist for free and open source, but with phones, like it's it's kind of hard to like have something that like works that way. So um, you know that is a rambly way of saying uh, if you're going to use one of the two, use WhatsApp instead. Um, but in, in, but generally speaking, in other contexts, 
your Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination is supposed to protect you from having to give law enforcement a password without a warrant. So um, the exception to that, though, is biometric information. And biometric information is any information that comes from your body, so your thumbprint or a face scan. So it seems like police cannot compel you to enter in a password, except if you're at the airport, they might, but you should still fight them on it and you should demand to see a warrant if they try. Um, and it's one reason why it's really important to have passwords on your devices, because if you have no password, there's nothing for them to ask for, right? Um, but if you use a thumbprint or a face recognition thing, they can probably compel you to enter it. So what I recommend is, if you're in a situation where you, like I use the, the thumb unlock on my phone, and the only reason I use it on a phone is because um, I, they're not sending it to some third party somewhere, like on phones, it's just stored on the device, so I trust that. But if I go to a protest, or if I'm like, if like a cop were like running towards me, um, shut your phone off because then when it turns back on, it's gonna demand your full password, and that is something that you are a little bit more shielded from. Thank you. Exactly what I meant. <laughs> I just wanna say that, so I wasn't on the episode that we had Allison on for, but I edited it, and when I got to the part where Allison was like, yeah, you need to have a passcode on your phone, and it should not, I didn't have an option. shut it off when that happened. I was like, oh no. Well, I didn't have a passcode for a million years, and then I was like, okay, I lost my house, and like, she knows what I'm talking about. Thank you for listening. <laughs> um, hi, Shelly and she her pronouns. Thank you so much, this is really helpful. Um, I'm not sure if I have a question so much as a comment, and I wonder if you all could like respond to it, I don't know, emotionally or otherwise. And I'm thinking about how, um, you know, we, we heard from you all how you have to keep your uh, online media really positive and uh, you mute responses from, uh, from you know, people who might tweet back at you. Um, and we're getting all of this amazing advice of, from Alison about how to keep ourselves safe from all great doxes. Um, and then I'm also at the same time thinking about how, like, women and feminized people are held to a higher standard when it comes to politeness, uh, where we bear like larger penalties when we violate the norms of politeness and agreeableness. Um, and I'm thinking about how if the IRL space is, if it's really all just one big, you know, public arena, and the same things that we would want to do in the away from keyboard is what we also want to be doing online. Are we silencing ourselves in order to protect ourselves? Are we being held to a higher standard in order to protect ourselves? And that fills me with rage, and I just want to think a little bit with you all about what is the alternative uh, to just having to protect ourselves, right? To, to, be the, to be victim blaming as we're protecting ourselves. I, I just want to say really quickly that I would I would say that while I will say that two of the four of us up here maybe don't stay as positive as the rest. <laughs> I'm unclear which ones. Um, and me. <laughs> okay. No. So the all I'm saying is like what we were saying before that when Zoe was like I will screenshot this and send it to Laura is like I. I think it's important, I agree with you completely, like for me it's really important, I am um, 
grew up Catholic, um, so again, being in the space is really something. Um, no, thank you. Sometimes okay, they're, they're Methodist here, it's okay. I feel like it's, I don't think it's, I don't think it's the same. There's a little construction for Oh, okay. Oh, it's possible. Anyway, thank you all. Sorry, my own childhood trauma, it's fine. So, um, I just, I think that I've been, we've been, if you've lived a feminized experience, you've lived an experience where you feel immediately guilty anytime you have a confrontation, where you, for me, it, it results in like deep anxiety, where I'm like, oh my gosh, did I make that person upset? Did I do, did I say the wrong thing? And then you're like replaying it in your head over and over and over again. And I feel like, honestly, being a part of Season of the Bitch has made, forced me in some ways to, because, to like walk what I've been saying, which is like, I'm not gonna take shit from you anymore. And like, I don't have to be, it's the same thing that someone was discussing earlier in the Me Too um, panel where, you know, restaurant workers are the most affected by harassment, not only by employers and employees, but also customers. And I think about like, when we're particularly like public online, when people interact with us, like, in some ways I think about it, if this isn't maybe the right way to think about it as like a customer experience. And I'm just like, I'm not gonna play the game that like the customer is always right, like, cause you're not. And especially if you're a man, you're probably not. And I don't need to, I don't need to coddle you through your own like male guilt. I, oh I was gonna, I probably, so I, I bring a, a different experience to this. I should also clarify that when I, I was talking about um, in sort of positivity, I run the Season of the Bitch Twitter account for the most part, um, and we have different standards for what the group um, messaging looks like versus what our individual messages look like, and this was a discussion we had very early on about what kind of tone we wanted to set as a an official podcast Twitter account, whereas like anybody can say whatever the fuck they want. My tweets are not the opinions of the podcast. Yeah, especially not Zoe's. Um, <laughs> I'm totally kidding, but um, I uh, yeah, I'm gonna. <laughs> okay, if I die, I'm gonna email that happen. Um, no, but I so um, I don't come from a tech background at all, but I do come from a background where, for personal safety reasons. I have been covering my tracks for a long time. Um, my father figured out where I lived um, and started, like, when I lived in a different state than him and started hanging out, like, came to where I was living and showed up at the coffee shop around the corner. Um, and that was a real wake-up call for me that I needed to, like, change what I was doing. Um, and so I have a lot of security practices that have been in place for years um, that have served me well. <laughs> Uh, you know, being a more like public facing person. Um, and I have also thought about like, what am I missing? Because um, the threat of doxing can be very real and very scary. Um, and, but it's also something that is, you know, I, I like, <laughs> all right, people are a whole different group of people, but um, I've been worried about not being found for a long time um, physically. And it does make me angry. Um, and it makes me sad because sometimes there's things that I want to share. You know, my Instagram is, is private and I don't let everybody follow me because that tells you where I am. Um, and there are things where it's like, oh, something cool is happening in my life that is very place specific. Um, and uh, I, uh, I don't, I wish I could share that stuff and I can't and that, it does make me upset. Um, for me, that's just reality, you know? Like my personal safety is more important to me than 
you know, being super online. Um, I don't have a good answer. I just sympathize is really where I'm going with that. Um, and it's, yeah, it's not fair, but it feels like that's kind of, that's kind of how it is sometimes. Um, uh, that's a really good question. And it's a question I struggle with all the time because, um, like I said, I've been an activist for 20 years and the majority of that activism was dealing with the rights of women and indigenous peoples of the Middle East. Because um, I'm a Syrian, and most of my activism has been around Middle Eastern culture and Middle Eastern people who don't always take kindly to women who look like me, talk like me, or act like me, and have political opinions. So I've actually spent most of my life building up a very thick armor to where there's very little anyone can say to me that makes me feel anything. It's true. Which sucks, because that means you have to kill a small part of you to be very good at, good at activism and keep going. Um, I do think I do think the burden is on women to protect ourselves. I don't know that there's anything we can do to change that right now other than show strength and solidarity together. Um, I don't I go after politicians, for example, online. I don't go after other comrades. I don't go after other people. Um, and I I think that you're right to be mad and that's just how it is for us, at least for now. So we don't have any time for final questions, um, but I wanted to invite all of our amazing panelists um, or any of our amazing panelists to share some final thoughts or reflections on what we've talked about today before we close out. Okay, I can do it. Yeah, no, I can do it. I can do it. Um, I want, I think, thinking a little bit about Shelley's important um, consideration for us, I want to offer a reframing that the way that I think about um, privacy is about control and personal autonomy. It's not about, it definitely can have the silencing effect, but I, the way that I think about it is, it is who I want to be, it's that I want to be in control, and it's that, that I want my community of other socialists to have that same control so that we can be in charge and then use our energy to organize uh, for the world that we want. That is my final thought. I, uh, I I feel very like lucky to be in this space, to be in this meat space with everybody. Uh, I feel very lucky to be on the, in the keyboard space with some of you. Um, you know, stuff can be scary, uh, but there's I think so much positivity has come out of being a socialist feminist online for me. I've I've learned so much. My like worldview has expanded enormously. I think I'm a better person, which is not something I feel like people say about being on Twitter. I do think I'm a better person from like really actively curating for myself a space that allows me to learn from others. Um, and I think there's so much good that can come out of like online communities. Um, so please don't completely log off, you know? I mean, do whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just wanna say that um, I'm just so, so, so grateful to literally anyone who's ever listened to us and supported spaces that continue to uplift and, um, you know, hold space for this kind of conversation and for this kind of community because obviously the five of us up here are not doing it alone. Um, so like I truly feel like 
you all here in this room and like all of you on the internet um, are just like the only way that, that any of this could happen and I'm just like unbelievably grateful all the time. Just gonna add like pretty much every week or time that we record afterwards we're all like that was amazing that was so cool like all the guests we have several guests we've had are in this room and we're always like that person was so cool it's so cool we get to just like talk to people about like things that we're all really passionate about and like yeah we just feel really lucky and like we all in different places we record via skype and the internet and like a lot of our guests are in different places so like i don't know they new cool things sometimes um, I'm actually going to use my time to reiterate everything Allison said. Please change your passwords and update your software. Um, and I know online habits are very hard to change, but maybe like try one change at a time. Like just install the password manager and then think about adding the passwords later. Just a step at a time, change those habits, you'll feel a lot better. I was literally what she does to us every day.